Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Creatokia podcast. My name is Videl, and I'm the global head of audio at Bookwire. This is a new podcast about digital publishing through the lens of NFTs, crypto, and blockchain, where every week we dive into this new and fast moving world, looking at how authors and publishers can take their first steps in creating digital originals and NFTs. So, welcome, everyone. And today I'm joined as ever. Um, by my co-pilots, and actually, you guys are co-founders of Bookwire. It's John and Jens. Hello, 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 Bidel. Hey, Bidel. How are you doing? Good, good. We've just worked hard all day long for <laughs> making up our minds for some strategic thoughts. So we are, we are really good. Okay, so fresh in the zone to talk about NFTs, and um, that's good. We've got a really good episode here for our listeners, I think. And, uh, I mean, we've planned it for a little while. So, well, I mean, I'll just jump in and, and uh, I think maybe it's time. What do you think? We can introduce our guest, right? Let's do that. Let's do it. So this week, we're very excited and very honored to have uh, a great guest, another expert, as we have a tradition of having experts here on the podcast. Um, so we have a fantastic legal expert um, who's been working with us on the setup of Creatokia, and his name is Tom, Tom Bregelman. Tom, hello. Welcome. Hello, Vidal. Thank you very much for having me on your podcast. It's an honor. It's a real, real pleasure to have you. And I know you've uh, spoken to our German-speaking audiences, mm -hmm. but your English is amazing. So here we are listening to, well, speaking to lots of other people. And, um, well, I mean, we were just warming up a little bit and talking I mean, it's such an interesting aspect, uh, this whole idea of, well, what does it mean when we talk about the legal side of NFTs and digital original and digital art? And I mean, maybe as a start, before we dive into a lot of questions, I think we have and our listeners might have, but just tell us a bit about yourself and, and how did you get into this whole NFT world and, and tell us about your, your background. Thank you very much, Vidal. Well, I started as a traditional German lawyer, went to German law school and started working at a larger law firm in Berlin. And then I got kind of bored and I thought, let's do something else. And I did the, nowadays you would say boring thing. I just went to New York City to get a master's degree. Nowadays, young law students go all over the world. But um, back in the early 2000s, that was the thing to do. It was exciting enough already. And uh, so I did a master's degree at Cardozo Law School there, which has an emphasis on legal philosophy, but also on copyright and uh, technology law. So, and I thought I would focus on that. And then I found a job in New York and then the financial crisis hit. And instead I focused on bankruptcy, which was uh, also a technology, had a technology side because um, when a software company is in trouble, then people uh, might try to buy it out of uh, out of its financial distress. So uh, I've had a lot of contacts with the technology, the technology side of of the legal system from from that financial perspective. And when I moved back from the United States, I worked there for three more, more than three years as a lawyer. Uh, back to Berlin, I realized that the German legal system and the way German lawyers work is really outdated in comparison to the US. Some other people might say even the US is outdated, but that's in a way what I saw in comparison. And that graded with me. And I thought that that can't be like this. I know better ways like the databases were more modern in the US. Many other things um, still are in, co in comparison. Uh, that, that was one thing. So I started to look into how, how can things be, be better because the tools are there. Why are we not using them, right? For many years in my law firm, I was the wizard because I could edit PDFs. Unthinkable. People thought it was like if like printed, you can't change it. It's like, come on. Dark magic. Yeah. It's like, ooh, 
partner sending it to me. Can you convert this into a Word document? Booyah, yeah. So, sorry. Uh, it, 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 so you became the tech guy. <laughs> Sadly, yes. <laughs> so, well, th that was one thing. And then when you live in Berlin, uh, then it, it, or you lived in, the Ber in Berlin in the, in the early uh, 2010s, it was almost unavoidable that you would get in touch or meet people who were dealing with the, any kind of blockchain subject. Bitcoin was known. Uh, people even paid in Kreuzberg, which is a part of Berlin with Bitcoin. I think they're still kicking themselves for buying a coffee for a Bitcoin. <clears throat> but back in the day, it was really not when you look at the exchange rates, even in, I think in 2012 or so, it was very low, really. And yeah, it was more like a joke, right? But mm -hmm. I knew, knew some early true believers and some then went to start the Ethereum project, right? Which was not necessarily started in, in, in Berlin, but it was Vitalik and the others started it between Canada and Switzerland. But some people from Berlin joined early on. And when it was launched, one node to launch was in Berlin. I only heard about it because uh, I asked my friends, what are you working on? I'm a lawyer. Yeah, we have this blockchain. I knew what blockchain was. And they said that they're going to abolish lawyers. And I thought that's great. Finally, I can then focus on something else. And they said they're going to have smart contracts and they will have, in a way, a legal system replaced by a digital platform. That was really the idea. And you know how it is. If you have lofty goals, then you might achieve some things. Like the people, the, the alchemists in the medieval times, they wanted to invent gold and at least they invented porcelain. So it, it's great if you mm -hmm. aim high. And uh, people have been dreaming of right. abolishing lawyers like it's in Shakespeare, right? Let's kill all the lawyers for a long time because the legal system is is grating, is, is irritating people. On the other hand, there are reasons why you have it. And why not, instead of abolishing it, improving it, right? We all know when we click wrap contracts, when we upload a new website, we have to click on all of this stuff that we're not reading. That's kind of like we're treating like children almost. We have to scroll mm -hmm. through this. Things could be better. That's in a way something. So it's about it's about progress, right? Progress. Uh, or it's about the question, why are we not using these great tools that we have? What is stopping us in other fields? Like... In sales and marketing, I worked in a, in 2017, I worked, uh, I worked as a general counsel in a tech company. And it was fascinating for me to see how the sales people, the, the marketing people were using Salesforce. And I thought, lawyers, some people say lawyers are like cats. You cannot hurt them like sheep, right? If you tell them, use Salesforce, document their own process and the progress and all that, um, they would probably not know what you were talking about because they, they've never thought about this. Uh, it's, it's not such, just so much the digital background, it's the, the cultural background as well. And uh, lawyers are very often very traditional. Maybe that's why they're becoming lawyers. They like to, in a way, trick you with words or be sneaky, right? Maybe we're not almost the most uh, <laughs> likable people, but then you need us anyhow. Uh, and, and it's interesting to see how uh, in other fields, cultural change using modern digital tools has worked. And it is also working mm -hmm. in the legal field. I was then focusing on legal tech, uh, which is the idea that with digital processes, you can improve the legal delivery for consumers, but also for companies. And uh, then my blockchain friends moved on and started more and more things. And it became apparent that they had, they had something, right? A friend and client of mine in, in set up with Vitalik Buterin the, start, the, the standard for the ICOs, the ERC-20 standard, Fabian Vogelstetter. And um, it was fascinating to see how 
uh, folks who were not lawyers but were doing commerce and were successfully in a financial way were setting up new rules, which is the novel thing to do. You have younger people, younger than me, much younger, setting up things. And then, of course, I, I remember our discussions when I said, you know, data protection laws are important. And they said, no, they're outdated. We don't care. It's like, <sighs> where do you even start? So it's been a, a long, ongoing discussion, I think, since 2015, 16, uh, almost every second day or so about uh, this back and forth. Uh, why do we have laws? What is uh, great about the digital world? What's problematic? Sometimes you cannot change things. It's one I, I, issue of smart contracts. Can you really update them? Sometimes, I mean, you have an iPhone and it updates and then you expect your apps to be updated as well. It, it sucks if you have paid for an app and then because Apple switches to iOS 15 and your app doesn't work. It's like, hey, why, why is that? So you have new challenges that are that can be overcome. So in a way, that's my background, law in a digital environment. Also, professionally, I'm dealing with p companies in financial distress a lot. And there, it's very often also their digital environment that's, that's, that's bad for them. One example, we had a company in Berlin, and they were still running on Excel from the 80s. They had only two IT guys. They were already retired and traveling in the motorhome through California. And whenever the company, it's a big company, uh, when they had an issue that, that had to try to reach them in somewhere in, in, in California in the woods and see that they would log on and update their system. It's very difficult to, to switch to this, but I digress. Tell us how you first got involved in Creatopia, Tom. Oh, how did I first get involved in Creatopia? Um, I was focusing for a long time on like bankruptcy and solvency and indigenous environment, and that was too too narrow for me. So about a year ago, I switched to a law firm that had a broader commercial appeal and had was in my estimation maybe a bit more modern or had a loftier goals. And Creatopia was also already, if I may say this, their client. They were working with John and Jens. And uh, John and Jens then came and said, uh, we want to do Creatopia. We want to do it with Bookwire. We want to do uh, something with NFTs. They're all the rage. We don't want to miss out, right? And uh, luckily, I had something to say to this. Apparently, John and Jens liked how I could uh, at least, you know, sometimes when you bounce ideas off each other and, and, and point out things, uh, that can be fun. I think we had some fun discussion, discussing things and... Uh, and, and conceptualizing things, right? Of course, what is, what is always fascinating, you have people who know the domain. So John and Jens know the domain of electronic books and audio books. And, and I'm the lawyer and we both, we all had an idea what an NFT could do or what an NFT could maybe not do, even though some people say it already can do this, but the question is how? And, and that, that was fun to, to, to discuss things, right? And, uh, if your approach is not to give up and not just say, oh, this is too complicated, the legal system is traditional, copyright sucks, it's still from the 1880s, really, where do we start? Can we not just have a fresh slate of laws? That's not going to happen. And, and you can still work with this and come up with something fancy, useful, that people like, that uh, might uh, also have a future and, and can be updated. And uh, so that's how this came about. Really interesting. And I mean, I'm just thinking about kind of drilling into it a little bit because I mean, on a, on a, from a kind of business level, I guess, and also thinking about the whole, what we, what everyone wants to try and achieve with digital originals and, and anything that's on the blockchain is, 
I mean, from a le- we were talking about it a little bit, just w- warming up earlier, and we were talking about, of course, it's the concept of ownership, mm-hmm. right? And it's as ownership, if you're the creator, you're interested in how ownership works. If you're a consumer or a, a buyer or a, or you're part of the community uh, of NFTs, because it's, of course, as we know, very, very community-driven. Everyone kind of needs to have some clarity mm-hmm. around ownership and what does it mean. So that seems to be a pretty key part of it, would you say? That's a key part of it. And I would say, don't be afraid of it. It's, it can be handled and it can be addressed. And if you have some wild news right now, like Tarantino and Maramax fighting over the script for Pulp Fiction, that's of course sometimes a bit glaring or in a way like it's, 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 it's kind of it can be scary it, for people. Well, I wouldn't say scary. It's just more like, um, you, that's stuff for the New York Post or so for, for, for the yellow mm-hmm. press, really. But on the mm-hmm. other hand, it's very normal that when a new technology or a new use of digital tools uh, comes around that uh, there's not so much clarity. I mean, remember maybe when, I don't know if you remember, I remember there was a time when Google wasn't there and then Google was there and then Amazon was there, but without good logistics, things couldn't be delivered and people were selling stuff over the internet and didn't, it was for a long time unclear when is the contract concluded, when you order, press order when you get the confirmation email, this kind of stuff. So it's it's normal. And of course, some people suffer because they think it's this way and then it's the other way. So things are being tried out right now. So for me as a lawyer, it's interesting to just uh, look at the details. Like when the Beeple NFT was sold for 69 million euros, it was fun to look at the terms of Christie's. And my understanding is that their terms are very clear. You're only getting the, the bare naked NFT, the database entry, and you're not getting any licensing rights, no uh, physical property as transferred. So Mm -hmm. if you, as the owner of the Beeple NFT, you want to show it somewhere else, there's a traditional copyright. It's maybe 30 years old. If you make something publicly available on the internet, you have to have the right for this. If you don't have it, the rights holder can stop you, right? So, mm-hmm. um, and Christie's took the easy way out. They said, we're not selling any of this. I had another case where we drafted an NFT contract uh, where the buyer was clear that he, he, he wanted some of these rights in addition. So you have the NFT uh, in sync with a license, right? Which is possible, but makes it a bit unwieldy. But then if you are in the area of, of into IP licensing, that's like... That's everyday business that you have to clarify rights and have chains of title and all that. Um, in other things, like, uh, for instance, in the fight between Tarantino and, uh, and Myramax, I looked in some of the court papers that were available. It's, it, it's fascinating. Tarantino apparently has the rights to the script, but he, he, he marketed the NFT with the uh, screenshots from the movie and he didn't have the rights to the screenshots. So he can probably sell the script, but if he then shows Yuma Thurman on his website, like this is the NFT, they, they stopped him from that. And then uh, as a lawyer, I like this, I'm sorry, but of course clients hate this. It's like you win, but then you lose on this little stuff and you, that's less aggravating, but I, that's, that's just how it is in, in the beginning. And then things, people will be more careful, rights will be cleared. I don't think that's going to to stop anything, right? And that's always, yeah, that's always been the way. And I mean, in the evolution mm-hmm. of, of digital, these cycles we have happened already between, I mean, the digitization of music and, and all of its streaming.
Um, Jens, you wanted to ask. Yeah, I mean, uh, our listeners have, think, a pretty good understanding of NFTs so far because we've been dealing with this topic for a while now. But I mean, let's take the chance and ask you again, what is an NFT and what makes it special from a legal perspective? So an NFT can be what you want it to be. That's in a way great. It's very flexible. It's maybe not very great when I say there's not the NFT and it is what it is, right? It's a digital item that can be ownership, that can point to ownership, that can help you track things. So it's very flexible if you do it right, right? So there are NFTs that point maybe to a website, but there are NFTs who actually contain a hash value that you can then match with your digital item, right? It depends on which blockchain you use. So it's a very broad term, but it's still distinct. It's about digital uh, originals that can be programmed. Don't forget this. It's not just a digital original. They can be programmed. So you can maybe, if you sell it like Beeple sells it, collect licensing fees, fees for uh, transferring them. Or if you, for instance, need a loan, you could give your NFT a security. People are doing this already. And if the loan is repaid, then you automatically get it back, which is fascinating for me as a lawyer, because very often collateral security mm -hmm. has to be actively given back and it's not automatically coming back. So, it, it, I mean, it basically opens up a whole lot of new opportunities from the like commercial transaction yes. side. And that must be pretty fascinating, I think, from the, from the legal side as well, because there's so many more things that could happen automatically where you need to make sure that you're standing on a solid legal ground, right? As lawyers, we very often have the problem that people are not very good about documenting if they transferred an asset uh, property. Maybe they have it for one mm -hmm. transaction, but things uh, live longer. And then the question is always, who owns it? When was it transferred and all that? And maybe NFTs have three great things. Not only are they able to point or be digital originals, not only can they be programmed in a blockchain environment, but they are, they also trace themselves. They give a chain of title by themselves, depending on the blockchain. And these are all things that are hard to do in the normal legal world. You have like the movie studios, they sit on, on, on decades of movie contracts and some actors are dead. Some license this here, there. And if you sometimes want to know, Well, who's the rights holder to the Wizards of Oz? It's like, it's a nightmare. Not totally because they have large legal departments to keep track of this. And cheerio and good luck to them. And uh, so lawyers are still needed. Uh, but it's, it's about efficiency by default. That's how it could be. That's how it can be used, right? It's like mm, 30 years ago, nobody would have thought that lawyers would ever be sending emails. They were so in love with their typed letters or dictated letters, right? And when they picked it up, suddenly communication uh, was faster. And I think that was better for everyone. Same with legal databases, for instance, if I talk from my perspective. And so here uh, you could make commercial transactions, not just about art, about anything else, anything else you deliver and transfer, uh, but more traceable, right? Uh, where in a way, if you have in a proper wallet, something that says, You have these NFTs and they represent, depending on the law, uh, a house or a car or a right to a movie 
or a rental agreement and all that, then you might have uh, more clarity about your uh, your legal situation there. That's uh, that's what you could do there. Whether it comes about like this remains to be seen, but we might all agree that, for instance, you've all seen contracts. Maybe you have a lease for your house. It's these boring paperwork. Maybe it's as a PDF and it's not dynamic. If you want to know what the clauses are, you have to read. It's fine to read them, but sometimes you want to know what does it say? Why cannot any machine summarize this? Why are the terms so uh, obnoxious? And uh, this whole NFT business is in a larger environment where people are changing the ways of the law, are trying to come up with digital standard clauses with environments that check these so that you can focus on the details. And for that, you need structured data that show you uh, what is what and who owns what. In a, in a previous uh, talk we had uh, in, in the German version of this podcast, you said because people are often scared about, you know, like this technology that now makes transactions maybe very fast and automated and you can get ripped off or your money can disappear because you get hacked or something. But you, you were saying in that episode that right, what, what is right is still right. What is legal is still yes. legal. So, um, only because it becomes easier to manage on a transactional side because of the automation, it doesn't mean that things are legal that haven't been legal before. That was a pretty compelling point for me to say, okay, I maybe don't know how I can, how I'm going to sue somebody who steals my wallet or my NFTs, but from a legal perspective, when somebody steals my wallet, he still stole my wallet and he can go to jail because he betrayed me, right? Yes. Um, the law is not abolished by this. Uh, let's say in 2015, 2016, many people in the Ethereum environment thought that could be done or that code was in a way trumping law. Code is law was their idea, but then they had some very famous blockchain accidents, especially with the so-called decentralized autonomous organization that was collecting so many funds. And then it was, as they say, hacked, but actually it wasn't well programmed and somebody could steal a lot of uh, ether from this uh, very early blockchain company. And there then people said, that's not what we intended. And that's in a way what the law deals with, that people interact with each other, they contract with each other, then something happens that they didn't foresee. And then the parties say, that's not how we meant it. And then, well, nowadays they can't fight each other, use clubs or shoot each other. They're, we are civilized. So we go to court and then the judges have to say, well, well, what do we do here? Right. And another thing is, of course, you could have accidents. Imagine, you know, have you ever butt called somebody, right? By accident, right? You sit on your phone and then later you realize somebody said, I don't know, 20 times, mm, John, why are you calling me and all this and, and all? Imagine you not butt call, but by accident transfer the NFT to your house to, I don't know, some person who called you a week ago. You don't want that to happen. But that's if you make pe things very liquid and easy to use, it could happen. And it could just, you can't let this stand, right? Another thing is, of course, fraud. We have cases where people were transferring Bitcoins to people who are not supposed to get them. And then you can sue them for sending this back. I mean, the transaction is irrevocable, but they still have the Bitcoin. So you can say, well, I have a wallet address here, send it back, right? And if if not, uh, we'll sue you. But but how am I going to find out? I mean, let's imagine I, I bought the Beeple NFT And I accidentally transferred it to somebody's wallet because uh, I just made a mistake. How am I going to find out who's behind that wallet and how can I get my stuff back? I guess it's easier if there's no fraud involved because then the other person would probably say, um, I have this people NFT here. It's really not mine. And 
It's like we have these, uh, and there the law is helpful again because you have old cases. Like when I was in law school, you had these cases where people who had a small income suddenly had a million euros or Deutschmarks on their bank account. Some mentioned it to their bank and the bank said, thank you. Some didn't mention it to their bank and just withdrew the whole amount and had a big party. And then the question was, do they have to give it back? And then the law says, well, they used it up. Right? So mistakes have always happened. So I think any kind of potential for mistakes does not denigrate or in a way uh, speak against this technology. Anything can go wrong. It's all invented by humans. I mean, the uh, utopians of, of, of the blockchain ideology, I would say, would say, no, nothing can go wrong. Code is law and this is how it has to be and it's perfect. And it finds, or it cannot be hacked or it cannot be broken. It's created by humans, so humans, as humans are smart, will be able to find tweaks around it. That's why you need laws and you need a government, right? Other cases will be where people die. I mean, how who inherits the NFT? Your heirs. But what happens if you don't have the private key? The NFT is sitting there. You know you own it. How are you going to transfer it? How are you going to liquidate it, right? But that can happen with other things as well. If, if I don't know, if, if someone dies and you inherit something in a jurisdiction... Like, I don't know, North Korea or something where you wonder, how am I going to But deal with are, are you expecting Are you expecting some, some regulation um, that will allow like to kind of work with those cases? Because I, you haven't given me a real answer where my people, how am I going to get my people thing back if somebody doesn't want to give it back um, to me? So uh, am, am I, you know, I mean, there's still some regulation to be expected, right? Because we have to make law applicable. If you cannot execute law, it's very difficult. Let's put it like this. Uh, for instance, in the EU, but also in the US and in other jurisdictions, most people are not so technologically advanced that they can use this on their computer and be totally anonymous. They will use crypto exchanges. They will use wallets and all that. And more and more, these wallets will use do you know your customer programs and do anti-money laundering. So it's expected that in a, in a normal accidental transaction, the recipient can be identified, right? And that's how it is in other things too. I mean, if someone breaks into your home, you always don't know who that person is. Or if, if an artwork is, uh, you, your grandmother dies and you always know she had this Vermeer on the wall. And then when you visit after the death, it's not there. Right. This happens. Right. It, it's I'm sorry. It, it, it very often when people say this is horrible, what could be done in the digital world, you will realize this is done daily in the in the regular physical world. That's in a way what people do. We'll find ways to handle this. I, I'm just going to round, round up and say, I think we can expect that this environment maybe even become more easy to handle and tr trustworthy than the world we knew before. And I think that's a super positive outlook that I, that I really like about your explanation. Uh, like, okay, there will be solutions. Don't worry too much. Let's focus on the, on the business side. Let's make it great. And then we will find solutions because we are smart. That's how I understood it. Yes. We will find solutions. I mean, imagine the world we have right now with, with Facebook, with Telegram, things are good and things are bad. The metaverse with Amazon or the iPhone. Imagine you had told somebody in 1992 that this, uh, will exist. They probably would have said, we know it's possible in theory. No one's going to build this, right? Who's going to pay for it? Why well, people wouldn't use it. People are still listening to vinyl records. Nowadays they do again because it's cool. Maybe they like the sound. So yeah, time will pass, right? Queen Elizabeth sent the first email from a warship in the late 70s, right? There was no commercial use for this. They just were just showing off. So Bitcoin is slow. Ether, Ethereum is slow. Other blockchains are fast. 
uh, it, it'll speed up. People are criticizing some environments for the uh, use of energy. And if El Salvador says that Bitcoin is mined with volcanic energy, I'm not sure if I'm buying that. But <laughs> but uh, the 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 regular banking system loses a lot of, of of energy as well. That has to improve, of course, right? Right. But that's more modern blockchains are, are addressing this. So uh, to sum the, summarize this. The European Union is uh, doing more and more regulations, the US also, but not to regulate it out of existence, but actually to protect people. Dealing with NFTs or cryptocurrencies is perfectly legal. You have to pay your taxes. You shan't, cannot defraud somebody. You can't do money laundering. And, uh, and, and that's that. And then people, things more and more will be, things will be, as they say, tokenized. Like in Germany, we have now electronic bonds, elektronische Wertpapiere, which would, be easy to good to use to make um, little things you couldn't trade right now because you cannot really make a marketplace for this it's hard right uh, make them tradable and if you believe that trade is good then that's that's great the german government wants to have digital shares they are not just ideal shares in your mind and you have a document about it but the digital embodiment is the share that's great it's very liquid it's dangerous again not the butt call but the butt share transfer and it's on the party right i don't know you're really thirsty and somebody says, oh, well, for that vodka, you have to give me 3% of Vogue I don't know. And then the question is, were you still uh, of legal sane mind at that time, right? Things can be go horribly wrong. But, and, and it's fun to talk about this, but uh, and usually it will not go wrong. And uh, it will just be very easy to use. And later, probably people will not mind it. I mean, how often are we talking about the HTTP protocol, about FTP? or other internet protocols. It's, they're there, the experts are using it, we need them, and that's it. I really love that mindset, uh, what, you, what you just said. And, um, well, I, I want to, to bring in the aspects of the Kriatokia community. We have a Discord community, and uh, mm -hmm. um, many people in the community are authors or publishers themselves. And they ask themselves, Uh, what what about my deal right now? Is is NFT business right now covered in my author's deal, or or is my uh, is NFT business covered right now uh, in the deal that I have as a publisher with an author? And I'm sure it depends. But what is your hint for these people, or, or your aspect on that? How how can we help th these ones? My understanding is that nowadays publishers' contracts, contracts with authors are more modern exactly because of the bad experience people had when the World Wide Web came about. Like the New York Times was suddenly publishing its whole archive and then the journalist said, I didn't give you the right to publish this on the Internet in 1972 because the Internet didn't exist and this is a new kind of use. You don't have the copyright. You either stop it or give, send, give me an extra licensing fee. There was some There was some nasty litigation about it, but I think mostly people agreed that This is a new use, and if, if a company makes more money with it, they should uh, share in, in it. So I think most things were then adopted. Nowadays, contracts in this field very often have a clause that says any future use that hasn't been invented yet is also covered or is not covered, right? So the, the, the authors probably have to look into their contracts. I'm sorry about that. They do. But whether having an NFT or using an NFT is a new kind of copyright or not remains to be seen. It could be. 
because if you see how it is used on the ocean protocol, how it is used in other exchanges and the way it is presented, lawyers might come to the conclusion it's a new use. I mean, when you presented stuff on the internet, it's like presenting on a TV screen, but people knew it's, it's, this, it's a picture that is electronically created, but clearly the movie and the film, right, is different from making available in public on the internet, right? So arguably that's a new use, right? Whether that's always good or bad for the authors um, depends really on their contractual situation. But I guess, or that's, I shouldn't say guess. My understanding is that we're not, the NFTs are not like the aliens landing and taking over the world and we don't understand it anymore. It's still an extension of a more digitized world. Let's put it like this. So my expectation would be that uh, modern uh, licensing contracts that your authors have would usually be able to address this. And then, of course, laws were also updated. The Copyright Act back in the day didn't have... Nowadays, you have clauses that give you a second bite to the apple. I don't know. You sell a book for a meager, simple lump sum, and then later, I don't know, it's an Oscar movie, and you're poor and homeless. And that, that just, just can't stand. And there are some... The laws have been updated in this regard as well, right? And, uh, and you need to find a lawyer maybe sometimes to enforce that. <laughs> So, uh, no, yeah, you will still deal with legalese, but hopefully if the platforms are doing it right, you will have more standards like you have. And, and there, are, there are examples for this, like the, creati the Creative Commons license or in, in software, uh, the open source licenses, right? Those are fair and equitable licenses, or if they're not fair and equitable, they're at least enforceable, and you can make a decision, do I want to use this or not? The world is big. You don't have to, right? And... Uh, and then, of course, like the Tarantino case might be even be a trailblazer case. I mean, the script is, I think, from the early 90s, so probably before the Internet really was very commercially available. I think the movie came out when it was in 94. So let's see. Maybe we'll have a landmark case there and then people will adapt to this. I think that that, that can be handled well by the legal system. And let's face it, everybody is a, most people are professional in this and you don't want to have a, a bloody fight that, that kills everybody. If you have a great technology there, you'll, you'll, you'll find common ground, I guess that, that's recommended anyhow. I mean, that's always the way I think about these things is, is I guess it's, and it, it's always the legal side of it ends up also being a discussion about the value chain and who has what in the value chain when it's not necessarily clear. And I think having once been a publisher myself, there are all kinds of different contracts. And sometimes you have con a publisher has published an author, for 40 years or a, a, t a book and the author may still be alive maybe at, uh, later in their career and um of course things have really changed so uh, i've seen uh, i've seen audiobook contracts which talk about cassettes and nothing else for example but you have to work them out so things move forward exactly and what should happen in a in a more digital world is that certain things like unstructured data mountains of paper that no one can read that in a way are not talking by themselves are abolished and you have a much better trail of uh, transactions that's always to be welcomed and that is usually done here automatically right so i'm hearing from what you're saying that you're a believer uh, in 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 the blockchain technology and and especially in the smart contracts that give us like a tool that can automate things that have been written on many pages in the past and you needed a lawyer to understand it and had to read through this yourself um so are you do you think this is going to be a revolution for the transactional system in the media world so uh, i mean we have amazon as a 
e-commerce giant that sells books and many other goods. And we have existing ecosystems like Spotify for yes. music and Netflix. Do you think that there will be a major impact also outside of books, my, taking the big picture here, on how transactions are being made between consumers and producers? Let's say now there's a decent chance because the tools are not so difficult to use, right? I know people in Berlin, they're barely 18, who are selling NFTs and are making 100,000 euros for it. Maybe the NFTs are not that beautiful, depends on, on the on the buyers, um, because a lot of this is, is, is open source software and you have so much choice, more people can try things out. And then it depends on the mindset of, 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 of people like Jeff Bezos. When you look at the old pictures, he was a bit dorky, but he was super smart and he knew he wanted to be a monopolist. I think many people didn't get this in the beginning. He was just a bookseller, right? Um, so yeah, there will be disruption and uh, Amazon and Microsoft and Google and who they all are will, they will fall by the wayside eventually. It's like IBM or. I mean, IBM is still around, but it, new companies will, will come up. For me, usually when a big company from the US has a big antitrust fight with the EU, that usually tells me that they're on their way out. Like Google is now losing against the EU in court. They finally got wise. <laughs> they were manipulating the search results, which probably means that Google has a problem actually making funds money uh, in, a, in, a, in a fair way, which means someone else can probably disrupt them by being better. Right. Uh, but I, I wish I was that person. I'm not. So uh, I'm not the next Steve Jobs, but some people will be around. So he is hoping whether that will all be blockchain based. I don't know. Very often you don't need any blockchains. I mean, you probably all have a traditional bank account that you use with online banking. That's digital money for all practical purposes. And you use PayPal works reasonably well. Right. So why switch there? Right. And uh, but uh, the idea that people can build their own environments where things are automated um, is better than ever, right? The idea of blockchain technology is that you can interact with without having to trust certain intermediaries. Very often you trust an intermediary. I trust my bank and I trust John trusts his bank and then I can wire him money and it works perfectly well. It probably takes a day or two. Uh, but in other uh, aspects, you, you, you might not have that or you don't want to have. Imagine that like Creatopia or Bookwire was, was running all of its con contracts, with all of your employees on a private platform that knew all of your contracts. I don't think you would want that. People are now using the cloud to store their documents, but have, have their whole contractual relations automated and run by a different company, I don't think that's going to happen. And in, in that regard, having uh, open source platforms, blockchains that help you transact might be uh, something worthwhile to have. And why not? Mm -hmm. Right. But where it goes, I'm, we Germans know there was once Bildschirm text, right? It, it could have been a winner, right? I don't know. The, the French had for a long time this little digital screen next to the bed. They were very advanced, but those were all proprietary systems run by the government. And then somebody made the wrong decisions, like with BlackBerry. And um, so in that regard, progress is probably surprising. And BlackBerry could have killed the iPhone, but they were lazy. Many politicians in Germany still think that the internet with its wild... West feel or with the availability of information, everybody can write something and everybody is a publisher is not great. <laughs> but that's how it is. It is now like this. And uh, maybe it could have been otherwise, but it's not. So there's a decent chance that people use this, hopefully for the better. And other people will come up with something 
thing thing else. We mentioned this before. Uh, one example, for instance, uh, let's put it like this. There can be new things that you didn't think of it yet because maybe computing power was what this. Like, I'm not wearing digital dresses. I'm just happy with how I look in the Zoom conferences and I have a background that I'm happy with. But other people care more about how they look, how their voice sounds. And uh, there's not this, now this phenomenon of having digital dresses that are not just filters, but that really are, you, you wear them in this digital environment where, where you are. You could call this a kind of part of the metaverse. If there's only one, maybe there are more metaverses. That's a heretic thought to think of several metaverses, I think. So digital dresses are now coming up uh, where I think I don't, for for a long time, I didn't see the use, but I, I, I realized people are buying this. People want this. And then you need some kind of platform for this. Uh, do you want this run uh, by a single company? Maybe yes, because the company is offering a very good service. Maybe you want to be uh, have it more open. And if, if you have these digital things, like a digital dress that you're happy with, and if your environment then changes, can it be updated? These are things that we are thinking about right now. These are actual current examples. And when you look at the digital dresses, they work pretty well already, right? It's, it's, it's fascinating. So if you think, for instance, of the Kriatokia uh, environment, which in my understanding is uh, your brainchild and is uh, bookwire expanding into a, into a new field, your chance is in a way to offer a platform there for everybody to use. It's a, like it's a, it's a responsibility because, I mean, people will want it to work well and they will want to express themselves as well. Uh, so if, if King John and King Jens then sometimes make arbitrary decisions, that, that's dangerous, right? I think that was smart of, of, of Bezos, for instance, in Amazon. At first, Amazon was directly selling the books and then they were letting sellers on who were doing their own terms. Sometimes they have fights and maybe Amazon is, is, is not giving them too much freedom. But if you invite more and more people to, to be able to do on your, maybe on your platform, things that they find are helpful or that they enjoy, then uh, the platform has a much better network effect and then people will be happy. With uh, yeah, I think uh, you are absolutely right, uh, Tom, because maybe the, the whole Web3 thing and metaverse and NFT direct interaction possibilities that are out there, they will make an, a next step of, of people doing business with people and not with platforms or with big organizations. And that's mm -hmm. really something that Creatokia wants to be a creator's tool mm -hmm. maybe not in the beginning right from the first place but i'm sure very soon it will be available for many people to use because anybody could be a publisher and let's not forget that like what people publish is the thing that makes it great i mean we are, we can build a street with great technology but at one point the technology will disappear as we've said a couple of times in, in this in this podcast under a layer of convenience yes. i mean it will be super easy and i i, I can imagine that like the next uh, ios version or android version allows you to to create a wallet inside google or apple's ecosystem super easily they are yes. already acting like banks so it's just one click away and then you just have a one-click purchase for an nft and a one-click sale and it's going to be super easy so finally i mean crucial will be what people create and of course we we see this in our responsibility also to to create this kind of launch pad mm -hmm. where creators and publishers can launch their products uh, on Creatokia and have a safe and, and trustworthy environment mm -hmm. and can keep track on what's going on and have like uh, an opportunity to kind of create a community or incubate a community or address their existing community. So 
finally, it's really about the the creation uh, that 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 people want to have in their life. I mean, the consumers. So um, because I mean, all this legal and tech talk that we're always doing. Finally, it comes back to let's let's make great stuff, right? It's about building a grand piano where you want somebody to write great music uh, with it. It's it's that what we are trying to do with Creatokia. You want to have, uh, um, in a way, a richness of available tools, and then let's see what people do with it. I mean, of course, humans are creative, even if you have a very, very poor environment that's not very stimulating. People will come up with something. Soccer is a good example. It's just two goals, 22 players and a referee and one tool. So the ball is like very simple, and you can still have an entertaining show for 90 minutes. So, But usually you want to have a lot of tools, uh, options, available possibilities to interact to but also to be to be traced right uh, i think some people are currently maybe disappointed about what the internet is not offering like who's creating his or her own website nowadays it's it's a legal nightmare you have to have an imprint uh, can you use google analytics so people will use services that help them set up a shop something like this And, and, and you have so many things that, that help you there. For lawyers, there's coding without coding because we also want to have things that are automated. People don't sometimes come to us and they ask us very simple questions like, is my employee really an employee? Does he need a visa and all that? And then they see our invoice and they say, well, I only asked five questions. How can this be 15 minutes and so expensive? And then very often you think, maybe a chatbot could have done this. People don't necessarily like chatbot, but maybe some kind of, website where you have where you, you have good questions asked and people fill it out but it's the tool can only be as good as the people right if 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 you if you are very good at coding without coding but the website sucks then people are not going to use it right and uh, if uh, in your example Jens it's very easy to use your your NFTs because the wallets don't shut down or so and then they always go here and there then people will not not use that in the end right um, so and that's currently where the NFT environment partly is, right? It's partly the Wild West. You know, you heard this term rug pull, right? People are announcing the NFT, people are buying it, and then the uh, the creators they pull the rug away. They say thank you for the million, and then they go away. That's illegal, right? It's always illegal, and it, these people will be found. But I think that shouldn't discourage people. It's as always, you have to be careful, right? As, If, when the famous decentralized autonomous organization came up in 2016, there was a report in New York Times that the person from Paris had pulled his whole life savings into it, right? And it was all gone. And then Vitaly Buterin decided to have a hard fork and turn back time. That's great. <laughs> I mean, when I read about NFTs, I mean, everyone is saying, you know, it's the, but it's basics, right? You should, uh, before you dive in, if you want to buy something, you should follow it. You should get to know who's behind it and what it is. You don't just, you don't just go to a market uh, uh, in a street and buy something from someone. You check it out. You get a sense of who they are. So I think that's just human, human behavior, right? But it's, that's, that's going to continue in the digital world. But, and yes. And I think there's a cultural change coming. New York Times, I'm sorry. Maybe reading the New York Times makes me stupid and boring, but that's one newspaper I read. They just had a report about that the big companies like Apple, Facebook, the others, they're having a hard time keeping their programmers on board because everybody's moving into crypto. And not just because there's so much money to be made because of the technological uh, promise there, right? Whether that turns out right, 
remains to be seen, right? I mean, but when people were first plugging the personal computer and, and you know, these needle printers, right? You know how the, the sound they make, needle, 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 right? And of course, I got one with nine yes, needles. Yes, great. Yeah, of course, same <laughs> to me, Epson. I also had one, right? And people who were able to type on a typewriter said, this looks horrible. Why, what, what, what is this? Why would I need this? this uh, I have my secretary and she or he, he's typing when I record, right? And, but uh, Steve Jobs and the others had this, this vision for corporate work. And I guess if the arts are very often trailblazers, that's why you currently have a lot of NFTs that deal with art and that's great, but there will be a much better digital representation of our world. Some people call it then the digital world, like physical and digital world, world merge. Like it's like you can't really make a distinction anymore. And as we are so used to interacting with the world via digital tools, it's to be expected that this is going to get better and better without, uh, without being horrible or something. It's like, just like use the goddamn tools you have, right? It's like, there's so much to improve really German land register. German corporate law. It's, it's, it's all paper-based. It's, it's PDFs. You, you wonder how, why can't this not be me more modern, especially as it was modern for a long time, right? And the legal side will be updated with this as well. Yeah. It's a lot of trial and error going on. And you are also trailblazers with Kriatokia. Uh, make, make sure you make a lot of screenshots so that in 10 years you can laugh at it, like how it looked and all that. It's like when you use, when you look the old, at the old search engines like Alibaba or, or Yahoo or Lycos, you realize, wow, I liked it back then. And it was modern, but then it improved so much. And um, so you're on an interesting uh, path there. What out of your perspective are the biggest hurdles or, or maybe traps where you can step in uh, when you when you enter uh, NFT business as a publisher or as a media company? Okay. The user experience is not as good as it should be, but that was the case with when the internet came about or was probably very starting to get used more in the late 90s was the same thing that will be uh, uh, overcome focus on the ux focus on the user experience my second advice would be currently try to understand the technology because if you don't you might make a legal mistake you might think that you are transferring something or putting something on an nft and maybe your technicians are not telling you how it works and then maybe you didn't so you need don't need to be a programmer but You need to be able to communicate with them. It's always recommended, I think. And try to understand the technology, but don't be um, a prisoner of the technology. If you think legally this has to work otherwise, if you think the users, the consumers will not accept this, you have to make sure that the UX and the software runs differently. Very often a problem in German government. They don't care. You have websites. They don't care that the users can't use it very well. They're a monopoly. Deal with it, right? In commerce, you can't do that. You'll be uh, outwitted. Some competitor will t overtake with a better user experience. So work on that. Other than that, um, make sure that you only use an NFT and a blockchain if you really need it, which is, do you need a digital original? Do you need to have a very open environment? Do you need really a chain of title or can you trust some other larger entity? And maybe you don't want to, I don't want to live in a world where we're all on Amazon web servers. Everybody's on AWS and we're all just using that. That's not going to work. So I think I congratulate everybody who's trying out something else. 
however that works. Yeah. Exciting times. Try to be open about right. it. The world is not going to end, right? I think that's great, Tom. That's a good summary. I think maybe you are like us and uh, who are in the bookwire side of things. I think we are, we're pragmatic optimists, right? I think, uh, I don't know if Jens and John are nodding, but I think yeah. that's maybe that's the feeling I get from you, which is it's not just a dream. There's a lot of work in it, but there's, uh, if it's good, smart work, things will evolve and, and hope and things inevitably yes. uh, evolve in the, in the right way. Usually, of course, there are some exceptions, but that's normal. So, Tom, thank you so much for being a guest today. I've really enjoyed listening and talking to you, and uh, I know everyone else has, and I hope our listeners have enjoyed it too. And um, good luck with everything, and thanks again. Thanks, Udell. Thanks, John. Thanks, Jens. Thanks, Laura. And uh, lovely. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. Bye, Tom. Bye. So Jens and John, time has really flown quickly this week listening to Tom and hearing him, his kind of uh, very detailed, but also I think we were, well, I, I personally like the optimism uh, that things will work out, but I think in a very, in a way from experience and like he was saying that uh, theft will still be theft and uh, there is still a chain of rights and those things uh, are necessary because that's... I mean that's that's the normal way of things right Jens Yeah that that keeps that keeps giving me confidence that uh like the the criticism uh, of course there's maybe some things that might not appear very easy to use or very uh you know like reliable from a legal perspective but I think these things will all be sorted out and and the big question is uh, are we are we creating great things that people want to buy and consumers want to have and will like the communities adapt and it's not the legal questions that will hold us back from doing what we want to do here exactly and i think on that on that note well also i mean something just thinking about what's going on uh, further well in the whole space and who is kind of doing what well a big piece of news which john we were just talking about Maybe you can tell us more because uh, you, knew, you knew more than me, but about, I mean, Walmart, one of the giants of, of commerce and retail, uh, has, has made kind of a really interesting announcement. Yeah, they made the announcement that they want to start a cryptocurrency on their own. Not really the announcement. It looks like there are some leaks about it. Yeah, I want to be precise on that. Okay. And they want to be an NFT uh, marketplace. So many, many companies, many uh, like Shopify uh, uh, are now investing in that because the whole space uh, is is opening right now. And I think that's that's a trend because OpenSea is, is now the gigantic whale of uh, of the NFT marketplaces and they earned three and a half billion dollars or traded three and a half billion dollars in the first half of January. So it's 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 really big. But there's a lot of scam because as we discussed before, there there are sometimes sold rights via NFTs that that they are not legally sold. As there were even sold YouTube channels uh, that were not really sold by the owners and people who who bought it thought that they were really buying the rights and there was an NFT sold about screenplay uh, of, of, of the not-filmed Dune uh, film from 2013, and the, the buyers thought that they bought the rights, but they didn't. So I think that's that's really something for the Creatokia mission, that we make Creatokia legally stable, and that that's not able, that, that people can, can experience scam or cannot buy uh, on a legal way interesting NFT rights. 
So um, I think that's 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 a, a strong sign for us that we may be on the right way because that's really something that we that we want to take care of in Kreatokia and what we want to take care of too is about what our community is uh, thinking of our podcast and what the community has questions if if the community has, has questions for us so that brings us what we will do in the next episode uh, right now on the table i think <laughs> yeah so i think that's what we want to say to people is uh, to our listeners of course thank you for listening i think we're kind of uh, wrapping things up and we are planning an episode we would love to do an episode where we really kind of address our listeners questions and so As always, please share that you're listening to the podcast, get onto the chat, get onto the channels, get onto Discord. And that's really, that's, I mean, where we will find the questions, right? That's the community. That's where it, the heart of it is. Yeah, there's an own uh, Discord room about the Korea Tokyo podcast. And I'm sure that our Discord team will, will again, state in the Discord that uh, users are now able to, to ask us questions. And we will answer them in the next episode. Great. So please, please get on asking. I'm sure there are so many questions still to be answered. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, John. Thanks, Jens, for being here again. And uh, we thank Tom, who was a great guest today. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Please jump on to Apple and give us some five-star reviews uh, to help the algorithms and boost us up because, well, I think uh, we, uh, we love doing this and uh, we'd love more people to hear it. So thank you very much and speak to you soon. Take care. Thank you, Videl. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.